Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and this podcast is all about helping men to become unstuck in their lives and inspire and encourage them to move forward towards a life of strength, confidence, and inner fulfillment. So without further ado, here is today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to episode number 40 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Kirk Parsley, former Navy SEAL turned sleep doctor. So I'm very interested in all the knowledge and insight that he has to share on sleep, because I know that many of you, many of us, struggle with sleep more so than ever, perhaps. And I, as I said, can't wait to uh, hear his information, insight, and some strategies to help you improve your sleep, improve your energy, and therefore improve your life, health, well-being. So, Kirk, my man, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well, my man. And yeah. uh, it's 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 timely that you got me uh, at this on this day because I had a pretty poor night's sleep last night. <laughs> ah, good. And uh, I know exactly where I went wrong. Uh, the, the, my my nighttime routine just wasn't on point as it usually is. I was working later than normal, of course, exposed to bright light, and yeah. didn't have my bit of downtime before I slept. And as I said, that was detriment to my uh, to my sleep last night, which again I'm feeling today. It doesn't doesn't happen too often for me, but I'm sure it happens quite often for others. As I said, this is uh, something we can we can uh, discuss in this podcast in terms of some strategies to help people improve their their sleep and their health, of course. And this is something that I've become very interested in. I'm sure you're familiar with Matthew Walker. I came across yeah. this podcast on, on Joe Rogan some some years ago and never really appreciated sleep until I heard his insight on it. And ever since I've been making adjustments to my routine, no phone in the bedroom, bought an alarm clock, uh, got myself these screen dimming glasses, shutting down laptop screens an hour before bed, you know, uh, making sure the room is in, in, in a cool temperature, all these sort of things. So interest to hear your perspective on on that and whether you have some arguments for or against matthew walker's uh, strategies and uh where you sit with all of that yeah um well i'll, I'll be honest um you know so I, i'm good friends and uh and and business partners with peter atia who uh is really close with uh with walker and so um I, I I knew about him for quite a while before his before his book came out, uh, and I've got to say when when his book came out, um, my original thought was this dude's stealing all my shit. Like he says, he's like saying all the same things I always say, like using the same metaphors. Like this is crazy, and and I of course you know I, I didn't really think he was stealing anything from me, but uh, it, I mean amazingly similar. Um, I I mean like eerily similar but I, I think it's probably because um you know like when i first started talking about sleep it was around 2009 and there just wasn't there just wasn't that much out there i mean there's a lot of you know clinical research you know there's a lot of scientific data but there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of people out there talking about sleep and so 
you know, everybody was kind of struggling to come up with the same kind of um, audience friendly way of talking about geeky science stuff in a way that people, you know, take away, take something valuable away from it. Um, and he and I, I think just have some really similar thought patterns and we come up with some very similar uh, metaphors and so forth. So uh, I, I, I was, uh, I was, I was pleased to see it. And I was like, you know, this is the book I always wanted to write. So he's already written it. So it takes that off my plate. That's easy. Like one, I can just check that box off my list of things to do. Cause like, yeah, just go read Matt's book. That's what I was going to write. So I, I agree with, you know, I'd say 95% of what he says is like spot on exactly what I, what I would say. Uh, and then there's, you know, this 5% where I, I'd, I'd push back a little bit and say, well, you know, maybe I'm not hundred percent sure about that. Um, and it, but you know we come out from different perspectives. I mean, he he's a sleep researcher and I'm a clinician. You know, so I'm I'm helping people day to day. So um, he knows a lot of stuff that I don't know. Uh, you know, down to molecular levels that I that I don't know. Um, but I I would suspect I know quite a bit about actually getting people to sleep and value sleep and track their sleep and understand, uh, what they're getting out of their sleep and what they're not getting out of their sleep. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that that's what I had to say about, uh, Matthew Walker. I, I saw when it, when his book first came out, somebody posted this enormous paper or like almost like a white paper on social media somewhere, um, rebutting a lot of his claims and coming up with counter, uh, you know, counter resources, uh, references to what he was saying. And, um, everybody wanted me to weigh in on it. And, and I was like, ah, you know, I, I don't doubt this kid's smart who's pulling up all these things and it's okay that he has an opinion, but you know, Matt Walker's, uh, you know, an international PhD at Ivy league schools, who's been doing this stuff for 15, 20 years. Uh, it's hard hard, hard for me to say that you can do your internet research and come up with counter arguments and, and, uh, and disprove what he has to say, you know, like, it, uh, and that's not an appeal to authority. That's an appeal, that's an appeal to wisdom and life, you know, life experience and time in the trenches, you know, and the, and the cougar dunning effect, you know, I mean, I, I can go on the internet and in 10 hours and convince myself that I know a lot about anything. And that until I meet somebody who actually knows a lot about that, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, yeah, I'm still stupid. I, I, I thought I knew something, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, there's uh, yeah. there's, there's these, uh, as you said, the um, internet the people at internet intelligence level, and then there's people that actually have done the years of research and the in depth work, and uh, right, there's always going to be somebody out there who just wants to argue with you anyway, or you know, create right. Some- uh, a rift or, or some sort of conflict for their own interest more so than anything else or perhaps for their own publicity so yeah i mean yeah. i really can't argue with with matthew and uh, i've read the book I've, I've listened to the podcast and i said it was a game changer for me and i'm sure in a way it was a, a big game changer for you as well because it, it brought sleep to the forefront of people's interests i mean as you mentioned there wasn't much talk or much yeah information about sleep yeah, that, before he came along so uh, he, he made my life a lot easier i'll tell you that um you know w- when i work with clients now and it's not just him but you know him doing that led to lots of other conversations and lots of other authors and lots of other journalists covering covering it and stuff and so it's a much easier topic to discuss now i mean back in 2009 2010 i was trying to tell the seal leadership that 
I thought the reason our guys' hormones were so far off uh, was because of sleep. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that I was, I would get laughed out of their offices. They would, you know, they just thought that was the dumbest thing that, you know, they'd say, you know, you need to go back to medical school, doc. That sounds like a pretty crazy thing. And, you know, uh, and, uh, and completely dismissive of me. And then, you know, ironically, two or three years after I got out of the Navy, uh, they started paying me to come and teach them the shit they could have had for free, you know, five years earlier, you know, everything that I was trying to tell them, eh, uh, you know, and, and, and that's not everybody. I mean, some of the leadership, some of the leadership caught, caught on, got on board right away. And like we had, you know, we had great, uh, um, we, we, we did some great things together. We changed, we changed the way some of the training was done and when the breaks were given and, um, the outlay of the, of the, of the barracks where people were sleeping and, you know, getting rid of lights and putting in, putting in all red lights and making the sleeping quarters completely dark 24 hours a day. And like, you know, lots of stuff like that. So what we, we did have some good buy-ins and then on an individual level, I had a lot of buy-in, you know, three or 400 guys that completely changed their lives just by getting off of sleep aids and, uh, and sleeping better. Yeah. So maybe, uh, talk to us about some of the uh, strategies that you perhaps, implemented what these Navy SEALs that uh, people listen to this podcast could implement into their daily routine, yeah. routine or to improve their sleep. So I, I, I think the most, the most important, the most important thing to uh, aspect about my history there is that, you know, it, it wasn't obvious to me or anyone else that their problems were being caused by sleep right or lack of so yeah this is a community i probably chose the worst two professions in the world uh for for sleep right like seals don't value sleep doctors it's like don't buy it's like you know part of being good at that profession is being able to push past your need for sleep uh, and, and uh there's a lot of value placed on that but um you know what they were coming to see me for wasn't disease. And I was a Western trained medical physician. I went to the military's medical school in Bethesda, Maryland. So I was like as traditional mainstream conservative medicine as you could be. And uh, I go to the SEAL teams and they weren't coming to me with any diseases. They were coming to me with just like a litany of complaints that was all exactly the same as the last guy who came in my office and told me the same thing. And, you know, they're having mood changes. They're, you know, talking about how they're super, they're super irritable, super snappy, uh, snappy with their kids, snappy with their wives, kind of a prick at work. Uh, but then the next thing you know, they'll be crying at a freaking commercial or something. Um, you know, their memory was bad. Their concentration was bad. Their motivation was bad. Their sex drive was low. It felt like they were getting fatter and weaker, even though they were eating better, working out more regimented. Like, like, you know, we, we had our, you know, we just hired our first strength and conditioning coach and we had our own nutritionist. We had our own exercise physiologist and they were working with these people expecting to be making gains, still getting worse. Um, and like almost, I, I, I don't want to say almost, I don't think any of them complained to me about not being able to sleep. Uh, but, you know, maybe a hundred guys into it, somebody said something about taking Ambien. And uh, I remember making a little note in the margin going, seems like a lot of guys take Ambien who come in here. So like, let me, you know, just gave myself a note. And then when he was done, I go back, I look through my charts. Every single guy who'd been in my office had been taking Ambien. And y'all, y'all, do y'all call it Ambien or still not over there? No, I don't. We're not too familiar with Ambien. Can you tell us what it is? I, I'm, uh, so it's 
It, it's a it's a sleep drug. So we used to have the benzodiazepines. Uh, those are things like Valium and Xanax. Um, uh, and so what they are is they're GABA analogs. One of the most important hormones in falling asleep, or actually it's not a hormone, but a neuropeptide is called GABA, G-A-B-A, stands for gamma amino, gamma amino butyric acid. And uh, what it does is it kind of slows down the brain, slows down the perception and makes you pay less attention to your environment. And so things like the benzos, like Valium and Xanax, those are GABA analogs, which mean they act like GABA. They look like GABA to your brain. But if GABA has an effect of one, then the benzos have an effect of 10, right? So one molecule binds has 10 times the effect of one GABA molecule. And then they uh, improved upon that, which they call the you know, the Z drugs, which are things like Ambien and Lunesta, these sleep aids. And these are also GABA analogs, but instead of having an effect of one or 10, they have an effect of like a hundred. So where one GABA, one GABA molecule would bind to one receptor and it would, you know, cause like, you know, this thing, 10 things to happen. Well, benzos would make a hundred things happen. And then these Z drugs are coming to make a thousand things happen. And that's how the pharmaceutical industry works, right? They figure, oh, there's just one trick, like, this is an important step. And so we'll just maximize this trick and we'll make that work really, really well. Right. Um, but what it does is it dissociates your brain, like your, your, the part of your brain that looks that we think of when you think of the human brain, the, you know, has the wiggly lines and all that. Right. Um, that we call the neocortex. And then you have the brain stem, like the old lizard brain underneath that. Right. And it just essentially separates those two. Um, and so what happens is you become completely dissociated and completely unaware, but you don't have to be asleep at all. Like, you know, and, and, and that these sleeping, you know, these drug companies got successfully sued for that, which is how we got the real data on how the drugs really work. And they really don't work worth a damn. So now they've all kind of been thrown to the wayside. They're hardly getting prescribed at all. And, we, and when, you know, 10 years ago, they were the number one drugs being prescribed. Um, but, you know, when your lizard brain is in charge, you just do primal things. Like you want to have sex and you want to eat and you want to like take risky behaviors. And so people were taking these drugs, hopping in their cars and driving to the casino and gambling away their life savings or going to pick up prostitutes or going down to their kitchen and eating like all the cupcakes and pastries and everything for their kids or whatever, and not having any memory of it whatsoever. Um, but if you talk to them, they, they seemed like they were completely aware um, and my, my ex-wife, uh, was taking Ambien for a while and I would have our, I, I really thought there was something wrong with her. Cause I didn't know that this was an effect of the drug. Cause they hadn't admitted this right until, until they got sued. That's when the data came out that they knew this was true already, but I would have hour and a half long, two hour conversations with her at night and then say something about the next day. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, we just, we spent two hours talking about this right before bed. You don't remember this? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's like, Hmm, like maybe there's something going on with the brain. Like I was worried about it. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I go to the SEAL teams and um, you know, once you learn, once you, once you learn about sleep, which I had to do, I, I didn't know anything about sleep. Then medical school didn't teach me anything about sleep. Uh, so I, I knew how the drug worked. I didn't really know the side effects because nobody truly knew the side effects. And so once I learned a lot about sleep and I've found out how this thing actually, how these drugs actually impact sleep, then it made total sense um, that these people were, that this, that the seals were 
um, completely messing up their hormones by taking these sleep drugs because they weren't actually getting sleep. They were having periods of unconsciousness that weren't leading to the normal stages and cycles of sleep. Um, and once all of those stages and cycles happen, that's where, you know, the restoration happens from those, they don't come from being unconscious. And so, yeah, the, the seals were taking, uh, they were taking these Z drugs, which remove about 80% of REM sleep and about 20% of deep sleep. And then they're usually taking it with cocktails and cock and alcohol destroys about 80% of deep sleep and about 20% of REM sleep. And then they were, you know, I'd send them in for a sleep study and they come back 99.9% .9 stage two sleep, which means they weren't getting deep sleep or REM sleep. So they weren't really getting any benefit other than surviving. Um, and so then once I really started learning about the different cycles, like, oh, in, in deep sleep, that's the most anabolic period of your life. That's where 99% of all of your anabolic hormones will be secreted during, you know, the first four, four to six hours of your sleep. Um, and then REM sleep is where all of the emotional categorization, working, change, taking things from short-term memory and working memory into long-term memory and then forming durable tracks between that and other stuff that you know, so that you can form, uh, so that you can actually work with new information. And then you actually, you actually know the information when you can compare it to other stuff that you know and work with it and flip at it and you know, come at it from a different angle. Now you actually know that. Well, that doesn't, that consolidation doesn't happen if you don't sleep. Um, if you have a, if you have an argument with your spouse over like dirty dishes in the sink or something, that should be nothing, right? Like that's a dumb thing. You were both irritated and you, whatever, you snapped at each other. And then like the next day that shouldn't even register in your brain, right? It's just, I mean, that was dumb. Like who cares? Like it was just it was, that it's completely insignificant argument. But when you don't emotionally categorize things at night, and put them in your place and like review your day during REM sleep and go, Oh yeah, that was dumb. Like throw that away. Oh, that was important. Like, you know, that seems like this is a pattern. Let me think about that. And, you know, um, and, and then of course, like bad things like trauma that happens to us as well, we have to emotionally categorize. And one of the bad things about trauma is that disturbs sleep. Um, you know, you're, you're reliving it and thinking about it ruminating over it will just will disturb your sleep and then you don't emotionally categorize and then when you don't emotionally categorize now you have the, like this really raw open sore that's super easy to trigger right and then that trigger triggering that sore leads to reliving the trauma and we call that ptsd right then you can have ptsd from anything and it's really just a lack of emotional categorization it's a lack of being able to work with it and some of that you know some of the trauma is so bad that you don't know how to work with it and you're gonna have to train to work with it you know, and you're going to need help and all that. Uh, but, you know, it's all made much worse by not sleeping well. So anyway, the, you know, these seals came into me complaining of the symptoms that you had, I, that I told you about, I don't have, I had no idea. So I just started testing everything in the, that I can think like, I just like a hundred different things to go to the lab and you know, give them all your blood essentially. And then, um, and then they come back and, uh, you know, the testosterone was low, their growth hormone was low, their inflammatory markers were high, their oxidative markers are high, their insulin sensitivity was low. Um, you know, vitamin D3, of course, was low because low on everybody, you know, like, um, and, and just litany of things that same pattern over and over and over and over again. Um, and so I said, well, I think maybe it's the sleep drugs. Like, let's try to get you off the of sleep drugs. And so, of course, they were on sleep drugs because they couldn't sleep. So you can't just like take away their sleep drugs and say, suck it up, buttercup. Now go sleep. Right. Like you have to, you have to figure out something. And so that's, 
that's how I came about having the supplement that I have right now is I actually worked with the seals uh, and I educated myself, you know, through, you know, literature and books and all that. But I also was in a great position being the, um, being the physician for the West coast Navy seals. I could call up the authors of books and, you know, people I'd seen their Ted talks or I see them lecture or whatever. And I'd say, Hey, I'm the doctor for the West coast Navy seals. And I, like, I, I see a lot of value in what you did. Or if I read your book, I whatever, could I come train with you? Or could I consult with you? Could I ask you a few questions about some of my patients and everybody was super generous. And so I got to learn a lot really quickly. Um, and, it, and, um, you know, I, I pretty quickly, you know, figured out, uh, you know, a couple of ingredients that I knew would help guys. And then we just kept adding and adding and we ended up with like seven different ingredients and, um, and the seals are having to go to, you know, this is pre Amazon, you know, so the seals are having to go to three different health food stores around town to buy products. And this would, you know, this came in like 90 day supply and this came in a 30 day supply and this was a liquid and that was a powder and these were capsules. And it was just like a big pain in the ass for them to travel with. And so they just harangued me into making a product. Right. And they just had enough pressure for them. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll make a product of it. And so that's, that's the only reason that product exists. It's because I, I created it to help these guys get to sleep, to test out this theory as to whether or not getting them off of sleep drugs would work. And by no big surprise, now I think the average citizen probably knows enough now to understand why that would work. And, uh, and of course it works, <laughs> it worked amazingly well. I mean, a 300, 400% increase in free total and free testosterone just from getting good sleep, uh, going from essentially no sleep for years because they're using these sleep aids, uh, to getting some good, you know, quality, regular sleep and, and, you know, totally life altering. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the journey. Yeah. But, yeah. And it's, you know, in terms of working with the, the Navy SEALs, these guys, as you say, highly trained individuals need to be on top of their game, need to be super sharp, yeah. uh, super focused. And sleep is perhaps uh, one of the number one natural performance enhancers there are. And this is something that yeah. they were deprived of uh, in, in a job, in a situation where they had to be on top of their game. So... And like I work with a lot of uh, a lot of guys who are big into the fitness, big into the training. And where does do you feel where does sleep fit in in terms of uh, level of priorities when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to training, when it comes to uh, everything else, supplementation, uh, vitamins, all these sort of things. Where does sleep fit in in terms of priorities there? And, and to to enhance your health, your fitness, your gains, is it is it number one? Well, you're probably going to be shocked by my answer that I think it's the most important one, but let, let me expand on that. So when I, when I first started uh, lecturing on this, um, yeah, I first started just by lecturing the SEALs once I got in some buy-in from the leadership and I'd had enough success with uh, individual uh, patients coming into my office. Then they, you know, then then they wanted me to work with the whole team at once and like educate them on on why this was important. Uh, and I and I started out all of my lectures with four, what I call four pillars of health. And, you know, so the pillars of health: their sleep, nutrition, exercise, and then some sort of stress mitigation. Whether and you can argue about what to call that because that could be mindfulness, that could be religion, that could be community, that could be meditation, that could be yoga, like whatever it is that kind of helps you maintain, um, 
you know, functionally normal levels of, of stress hormones and not, you know, and prevent the likelihood from you having excessive stress hormones. Um, and I taught that for years and years. And, uh, yeah, the more I drank the Kool-Aid, I was like, you know, sleep doesn't belong on par with these. Like, and so now I teach, there's three pillars. There's, there's exercise, there's nutrition, and then there's stress mitigation, but those three pillars are sitting on a foundation that foundation of sleep. And the reason I say that is because if you think about any of those things, right? So like take nutrition, the, the macros that I put in my mouth every day, uh, what my body does with those, whether they get stored away, um, as reserve fuel, or they actually get used at the moment, um, how they like, how amino acids get combined, like all, all sorts of things about what I'm eating uh, is regulated by hormones. Those hormones are regulated while I'm asleep, right? What I feel like eating, whether I feel hungry or not, whether I feel like I'm starving, what I'm craving, the foods that I actually crave when I feel hungry, that's neuroregulation of appetite. That happens while you're asleep as well. So not only does your desire to eat, uh, your ability to stay with your diet is controlled by the prefrontal cortex, which is restored while you're asleep. It's the most impacted area of your brain when you don't sleep well. So your ability to make smart choices around your food are diminished when you're sleep deprived. And then what your body's going to do with the food, you're, the only time any animal on this planet will sleep deprive itself other than humans is one, if it's being stalked, it's being preyed upon and it's trying to avoid a stalker. Or two, if it's starving to death, right? If it's starving to death, it needs to wake up earlier so it can travel farther to forage for different foods. It'll try more novel foods. It'll take more risk because it might die if you don't get something, right? And so our brains, like our our you know prehistoric brains, our development thinks the same way. So when you're sleep depriving yourself, your brain's convinced that there's danger around and and or you're starving. And so what happens with your fuel partitioning of what you eat, what you're doing with your macros, your body is, your brain is perceiving your current situation is likely famine. So let's store as much fat as we can. And, you know, let, let's use up all, let's use up all these amino acids and uh, you know, and then we'll, that way we can, we, you know, like, we know we're not going to store any of these. We're not going to do anything anabolic with these. We're just going to, we're going to use these right now so that, and uh, because we're probably going into famine and we're going to eat our muscles later as our amino acid fuel. Right. And then you think about exercise, it, like say, I want to get stronger it, while I lift weights. Am I getting stronger while I'm lifting weights? No, I'm getting weaker, right? I'm damaging the muscle tissue. The whole game is I'm going to overstress my connective tissue, my musculoskeletal system. I'm going to put too much pressure on it to where it actually damages it. And then when it repairs, it's going to repair in a way that makes it more capable of doing what I'm trying to force it to do. So if I'm trying to force it to bench press more weight, then the muscles involved in that, they're going to come back stronger. They're going to come back thicker and, you know, with, with more myofibrils to be able to contract a little bit harder, maybe a little more muscle, um, a little more uh, nerve innervation to be able to, con you know, to be able to recruit more muscle fibers or whatever. But my body is going to adjust to try to do that work. When is that happening? Only one time. There's about four to five hours where that happens. Deep sleep. About the first four or five hours of your sleep, most anabolic period of your entire life of any day is the first four or five hours of your sleep. That's when all that repair is happening. So exercise, hugely impacted if you aren't sleeping. In fact, 
probably negated if you aren't sleeping well, you aren't getting enough sleep to recover. doesn't make sense to exercise the next day because your body's not really ready for it. And then the stress ties into both of those, but, um, you know, the entire, the entire purpose of me going to sleep tonight is to prepare my brain and body for tomorrow. Right. So I'm going to repair everything that happened to me today. And I'm going to use today as a template to predict what my body and brain need to be able to do tomorrow. And all of my resources while I sleep tonight are going to be driven towards optimizing myself to do another today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. And hopefully I can do it at least as well, if not a little bit better. And if I could recover a hundred percent every night, I would never age, right? Because I would wake up exactly the same every day. I'd wake up exactly the way I was the day before. So what eight, all aging is really is, you know, we don't recover hundred percent every night. When we're, when we're young, we're recovering more and you can see kids growing and getting smarter and getting more athletic and taller. Like they wake up and you swear they're taller than they were when they went to sleep. Uh, you know, they're, they're actually growing. And at some point, right, that stops. And then we have like maybe a little 10 year period where it's kind of neutral. And then we start aging. Like we start being able, not able to recover. So the whole point of getting eight hours of sleep, which is a contract you're born into, you're born into the contract that you're definitely going to die. And you're born into the contract that takes about eight hours to recover from 16 hours of being awake. And the day is only 24 hours long. So that's how much you need. You can, you can not like that. And you can try to hack your way around it, put butter in your coffee and I don't know, whatever, whatever else kind of biohacks you, you want to do grounding pads and all that, but you still need eight hours. That's all there's to it. Um, so if I don't get eight hours tonight, let's say I go to bed late, I stay up late, I work a little longer than I should have, uh, and I go to sleep, and instead of getting eight hours, I get six hours. So I didn't recover all the way. I didn't repair all the way. I didn't get rid of all the waste. I didn't replenish all the nutrients. I didn't get my cells in the ideal situation to be able to do their work, but I still wake up the next day, and tomorrow still comes. I still have to do it. So how do I do it? I do it by releasing more stress hormones. And stress hormones are catabolic, right? I release more cortisol, more epinephrine, more norepinephrine. These things make me feel more awake. These things cause me to mobilize uh, my stored fuel, glycogen, and so forth. Help me motive, help me mobilize body fat, to, you know, for oxidation and all this. And like, so, um, not getting enough sleep is first of all, if I sleep six instead of eight hours, I'm choosing to age 25% faster. That's just a fact. You can't get away from that. Um, and the, the other thing that I'm choosing though, is to be more catabolic the next day than I would otherwise be. Um, and to have higher stress hormones. Now the problem about having higher stress hormones, one, they interfere with your performance two, their catabolics, but three, having high stress hormones interfere with your ability to go to sleep. So if you're, if you're running around on high stress hormones because you aren't sleeping well, the irony is you won't be able to sleep well because you have too high of stress hormones. And now you didn't get good sleep again. So now you're going to have even higher stress hormones the next day, which means you're going to have a harder time tomorrow night. And then you're going to have more stress hormones the next day. And so, you know, anabolic, if you think about anabolic, it's, like it's, it's taking small, simple things and building big, complex things. So for instance, we take amino acids and we stick them together in proteins and those proteins we stick together to make muscles, right? Now muscle is a much bigger, more complex structure than an amino acid. However, when we're starving, our body 
eats our muscles to produce amino acids. We break our muscles down and we put amino acids in the blood to do cellular functions, things to keep us alive that are more important than having a little more muscle mass. And so uh, if you think about it, there's two points that are maximum on these. So maximum stress hormones, most people have heard of the fight or flight, right? When you get in fight or flight, the whole design, you, know, you think about the way we evolved. Uh, so you think about one of our ancestors 20,000 years ago, you know, walking around in the wild and then catching a glimpse of a tiger striped pattern, right? Or whatever, a cobra or like something dangerous that's going to threaten their lives. And that leads to this maximum stress hormones. And then what do the maximum stress hormones do? Well, they kind of make us superhuman. They dilate our pupils. We take in a bigger field of vision. We take in more light. We can see more. Um, it actually causes us to, we feel like we have tunnel vision. We actually take in more light, but we're only focusing on one thing and we can't take our eyes off of that one thing. So that's why it feels like tunnel vision. Um, it shuts down the prefrontal cortex because you don't want to think your way out of getting away from a tiger. You want to react, right? You just want to be super impulsive and just go reflexive. Uh, our reflexes get faster. Our pain threshold increases. Um, we, we mobilize our stored glucose that stored as glycogen. We mobilize that. We increase our blood glucose level. We, we increase our heart rate. We increase our blood pressure. We uh, restrict the capillaries on our skin. So that if we get cut, we don't bleed as much. We increase uh, you know, the blood flow to our heart. Uh, and, and, uh, that increased pressure and increased heart rate is getting more of that to our muscles. So, um, our lungs actually expand. We can, we only use about 40 to 60% of our lungs when we're just sitting around. So this expands, we start using hundred percent of our lungs. And so now we're superhuman, right? Like we're, we're faster, we're stronger. Our reflexes are faster. Our pain threshold is faster. We can see more. Our senses are sharper. We're more like we're superhuman. So why don't we just run around like that all the time? That'd be great, right? Like, why not do superhuman all the time? Well, the problem is it's catabolic. You're using your body as a fuel source. You're breaking down all sorts of complex things into simple things to give yourself the fuel to get through this period. And there's a lot of things that just shut down completely. You aren't making any sex hormones. You aren't doing anything around reproduction. You aren't doing anything. Your immune system isn't working whatsoever. It doesn't matter if you can fight off the infection in your gut. If the tiger eats you in the next 30 seconds, like that totally irrelevant, right? So completely shut that down. We're not digesting food and we're not, and our immune system isn't working. Um, so we're almost a hundred percent catabolic. Uh, but it gets us out of that situation. And then ideally we get out of that situation and we relax. And then 30 minutes later, we're not in that situation. And that hopefully only happens to us like once a month or something, you know, and, and that's stress, that's a normal amount of stress. That's how we evolve to stress. The exact opposite of that is deep sleep. And you think about when you're in, when you first go into your first state, your first sleep cycle, the first uh, sleep cycle is like 90 to 120 minutes long. You, you're going from stage one sleep down to stage two, stage three, stage four, and you're spending a lot of time in stage four sleep, which is slow wave sleep cycles. And this is when your stress hormones are absolute lowest they're going to be at any time of your life during this period. And that's the highest anabolic period. And you're repairing, you're doing all of the things that you weren't doing in fight or flight 
is working right now you're digesting your immune system's working well your uh, your sex hormones your uh and, and your all of your reproduction pathways and all that stuff's working at, at a maximum but your heart rate's low your blood pressure's low your blood glucose is low you aren't using your muscles your neurotension is low your you aren't really using your eyes you aren't really using your lungs like everything like minimum and the exact opposite of fight or flight and so we know that we know this is how we know this is how the body works and so the biggest the biggest problem with sleep is that or the biggest problem in modern society is that people don't understand that concept right there and so uh you know everybody's been in a fight or flight situation right or at least a near one so like a, if you get in a car crash or nearly get in a car crash or get in a fist fight or a gunfight for sure like you know and things like this or you go skydiving or something like you get in like we've all had this and you usually feel pretty exhilarated right so if you think about it, if I go to sleep tonight and instead of sleeping eight hours, instead of six hours, I wake up tomorrow, my body knows the game because I do this all the time. How's it, how's it get me up? It throttles my stress hormones. It feels a bit exhilarating. So I wake up actually feeling pretty good. And I'm like, you know what? I feel good. I feel like I'm completely adapted to this, to this lack of sleep. And I actually feel great. I think I do great with six hours of sleep. And, and, and it's hard to convince them otherwise, because I, you know, the hardest thing about my job is I'm telling people, teaching people to sleep, right? I'm trying to convince people to sleep. The problem is if they do everything perfectly and they get a great night's sleep, they don't remember anything, right? So it's a pretty tough sell, right? It's, it's like, hey, I'm not, you know, it's like, a, it's like I'm selling you, you know, magic or something. It's like, hey, you, like, if you do everything right, you won't have any idea if you did it right or not. That's like, that's the worst sales pitch ever. So I'm trying to convince people, you know, and it's easier now because we have wearables and we can track, people can track their sleep and they have heart rate variability training and, you know, uh, tracking and all this other stuff. Um, people wearing continuous glucose monitoring so they can see the results every day now. Whereas when I first started this, it was really hard to convince people that, you know, they were doing great uh, until they sleep, you know, three, four nights in a row, mm -hmm. um, so how, like how eight you, hours a night, three or four nights in a row. How do you, how do you know, like taking the, the wearables and the tracking devices out of it? How do you know if you've, if you've had, I know you're talking about the quantity of sleep and the quantity is one thing in terms of getting a minimum of eight hours. Right. But how do you know you're getting good quality sleep within that eight hour period? You know, the, the likes of myself, yes. I would wake up once a night, every single night to go to the bathroom and pee every yeah. single night. Yeah. I'm like, is that detrimental to the quality of my sleep? Now I get back to bed and I fall back to sleep uh, pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. But again, I wake up in the morning, I feel pretty good to go to the gym and I smash out a session. My energy levels are pretty good. I'm pretty focused and, uh, you know, I can concentrate on my high level tasks for the day. I feel pretty energized apart from today. Now I know because I had poor quality sleep last night and I didn't train today. I went to the gym. I was like, no, you know what? I'm not properly recovered. So I'm not going to go, not going to train today. Good for, good for you. Good for you. That's, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, so that, that's come with time and, and practice and intuition. So, yeah. So, yeah. How, how do you know you've had good quality sleep? Quality is not. So, um, so in, instead of going on a night by night basis, um, I, I, I try to 
I try to convince my clients to have a pattern of good sleep, right? So it, it's, it's super, uh, it's super regulated and, uh, and scheduled at the beginning, right? So it's like, if you, if you start working with somebody who's 30 to 40 pounds overweight and they haven't, they haven't exercised in 10 or 15 years, you're going to be really regimented with them, right? You're going to be very like direct, like do this, do that, do this. So like, you know, like very, very exact. But once they lose four pounds, and they're working out every day and they're in great shape and they feel great. Do they have to do everything exactly like they had to do to get there? No, like they can, they can approximate, like they know, they know what works for them. They know what's really important for them. And they can kind of home, they can kind of focus in on those things and then they can throttle it up and get in really good shape if they want to, by going back into that. But if they just want to maintain a good condition like that, it's just, you know, you generally adhere to the principles that got you there and you, you know what the most important things are for you sleeps the same way. So when I start out, it's like, you know, we're, we're going to do this very regimented thing because most people have just a crap sleep ritual. If they have any kind of sleep ritual, most people have zero. Like most people, as you, you alluded to, they'll work on their computer till 9.59 and go get in bed. And then at 10.15, they're looking at their watch like, why am I not asleep yet? You know, they're like, wow, gee, I don't know. <laughs> like, so it's so shocking that you can't, uh, um, you know, and so, so I, I shoot for a good pattern of sleep. And so ideally, and not everyone can do this, I understand this. So one, one of the things that I teach all the time is like, I say, there's an ideal, right? There's an ideal. And whether or not we know the exact ideal for you, like just you know, work with me on this and say, okay, let's say that I knew exactly what the ideal is. And that line's right here. And like if this line, like you're doing all of these things are adding up and this, this perfect peak. Well, then there's reality, <laughs> like there's here, right? The reality is like, you know, well, I got kids and I got to get my kids to early to school and that or this and that. And like, you know, and, and I only have 30 minutes for lunch and there's no, you know, so like there's reality. In between this gap, you know, that's where we supplement, right? When, and supplement being like nutritional supplements or gadgets or supplemental practices or, you know, whatever. Like, we, and we, we try to compensate and get, you know, the impact of being as close to this as possible. Although this is the, this is realistically as ideal as your life's going to be. So with that in mind, I say, okay, let's develop a, let's develop a sleep ritual. An ideal would be that you would go to sleep at the same time, roughly every night. And then you would wake up roughly the same time every morning and you wouldn't require an alarm clock to wake up. And then you, when you woke up, you felt good right? That's, that's really it. And then, and then, and then that duration has to be somewhat fairly close to eight hours, right? Uh, it, if you're, if you're doing this and it's like five hours and five hours and I'm up five hours and I'm up five hours, like, yeah, well, there's something, there's something that's wrong. Uh, cause you don't know what it feels like to feel great yet. So we have to get you feeling great before you're going to realize what it feels like to feel great. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, much like yourself, I, I don't just work with sleep. When I'm working with somebody, I'm talking about their nutrition. I'm talking about their exercise, especially their exercise intensity while they're going through this, like this. I'm, I'm talking about how they're mitigating their stress and their stress hormones during the day and you know how does nutrition impact their stress hormones and how their behaviors impact. So like all that stuff is, is in, in what I'm doing as well. But, uh, but I have uh, on my website, um, on in a PDF, it, it's it's called a stress workout or something or stress stress worksheet or something like that on my website. Um, um, we we can send you the link for it if you want to link to it. But uh, it, it's a free PDF and and all it is is um, it's a it's it's a philosophy 
and some practical applications of this philosophy as to how to remove stress from your sleep, uh, how to prevent stress from impacting your sleep, maybe said better. Um, and it's a process and it's something that, you know, you, it's going to take a little practice to do, but it, you know, it would take me an hour probably to explain it. Um, but you know, it's, it's basically creating a little bedtime routine, a little philosophy and practice while you're in bed and a little morning routine. Um, and, and you create, you, you create this environment where you take the stress out of your ability to sleep. You're lowering your stress hormones, which I just told you is the most important thing to be anabolic and get the actual recovery is to lower your stress hormones. So you're lowering your stress hormone. You're getting better sleep. You're feeling better, which is lowering your stress hormones, which is allowing you to get better sleep. Uh, and after people get rid of stress, I'd say 90% of my clients who have problems getting enough sleep or getting quality, good quality of sleep, it's because of stress. Just the way our environment works, like we, you and I were talking about uh, before we, we, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, the smartphones, right? And all the recreational screen time, your computers, your video games, your television, all this stuff. Um, you know, we know that this interferes with your ability to sleep, right? Because it's a stimulation and, and one, you know, it's putting light in your eyes. And so people are getting smarter on that. They're using blue blocking glasses and they're using computer programs and smartphone apps that are taking the blue light out of their screen. Okay. That helps, but you're still stimulating your brain. Right. Um, and you know, when we're going on social media and things like that, we're looking for dopamine hits. We're looking for something that's going to make us feel a little bit better. We're looking to change our hormones. And these are stimulatory weight promoting neurotransmitters that we don't want when we're trying to get ready for sleep. If you think about how our ancestors went to sleep, the sun went down. When the sun went down, all the blue light went away. When the blue light goes away, there's a trigger in the back of our eyes that tells our brain to release melatonin. Melatonin is the beginning of the whole process, causes thousands of other changes in our brain. We eventually quit paying attention. Our, our neocortex, we, we, quit, we, quit, we quit thinking about what we're perceiving. We quit, we quit thinking about touch. We quit thinking about smells and visions and sounds and all this. We quit paying attention to all of that. And then we separate ourselves from our environment. We, and our, all of our brainwave patterns change and all of our physiology changes. And then that changes 100,000 times more while we're asleep. Because uh, it's different. What what gets you to sleep is different than what keeps you to sleep, which is different than what's waking you up. And all of these things are continually changing. You're doing all these different things to repair and restore and prepare yourself for tomorrow. So the sun went down, the blue light went away, the melatonin started being secreted from the pineal gland. All of this started changing in our neurophysiology because the sun went down. It got cooler outside. We didn't have heaters and air conditioning back then, so we got cooler, our body temperature dropped a little bit. It was dark. We're a very visual animal. We don't hear and smell all that great compared to other animals. Can't see much, especially if you have a fire that's protecting you from other animals. So there's not that much to pay attention to. There's not much stimulation. That's all sleep hygiene is. Reapproximate that. Get rid of the light. Don't stimulate yourself, you know, intellectually, visually, auditorily, like you don't do stimulating things. Don't exercise, you know, uh, don't cause yourself pain. Don't watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on television. If you're going to watch your television show, like, you know, don't do that and lower your body temperature. That's all sleep hygiene is like every sleep hygiene technique you'll ever read is about one of those three things. So you can figure out how that applies to you. Like everybody can make up their own, but the biggest impact would be, you know, you created, you create a routine 
that's fine. But the biggest impact would be getting rid of the stress if you if you're having difficulty. Uh, if, you know, some people are lucky; they can just create a routine and they just go to sleep, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, uh, and it depends on your clientele. You know, for me, my like my clients are they're older guys. You know, they're uh, they're forty five to sixty ish kind of guys who traded their health for wealth for like twenty years and then sold their business, and now they just want to like be really healthy. And so, mm-hmm. um, but they they've broken themselves pretty bad by the time they see me usually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, as I said, like I, I do, like I work mostly with guys who, who are big into the training, big into their health and fitness, and at the same time don't appreciate the the value of sleep in terms of how that actually improves what they're actually trying to attain. However, I also, and I've, we've touched on this before we started recording, I also work with guys, a lot of guys who work uh, night shifts, and yeah. these guys, of course, value their health, value value their fitness but they're working nights. It's almost like going against our, our complete uh, primal instincts and staying awake at night instead of going to sleep. So right. have you any strategies or tips in terms of how they can better manage that and, and, and therefore improve their sleep and improve the quality of health and, and well-being? Yeah, they, so they need to practice uh, two words and then they only have to use it once. I quit. <laughs> no, uh, so this is actually the most common, the most common question I get okay. when I lecture because I lecture a lot of, I lecture a lot of first responders and law enforcement and DOD and DOJ and like, and even a lot of hospitals. Like I've worked with a lot of ER staff and so forth. You know, like around around their staffing of their doctors and uh, for emergency room use and all that. Um, and so the most common question I get is, you know, some variant of, you know, uh, how can I work night shift and still be healthy, right? <laughs> and still be optimally healthy. It's like, well, what you're really asking me is how can two plus two not be four, right? That's what you're asking me to tell you. And, and I don't have an answer for you. Like there is no way, there is no way to answer that. There is some price for it, right? Um, and so what is the price? Well, that depends a lot. Some of it depends on your individual physiology and genetics and your ability to recover well with being off of circadian rhythm, right? Being outside of a circadian shift shift, or maybe getting inadequate sleep um, on top of that. Uh, but what I tell people is like, well, all we, all we can really do is work on mitigation, right? Um, so, you know, like for me, the SEAL teams, uh, like, you know, our sixth week of training, we go the whole week without sleeping, right? So we're selecting out for people who can handle sleep deprivation. Well, the general population can't do that, right? They, there's a lot, there's lots of things that you can't, that the general population can't do. And, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't make it through SEAL training now. I'm 51 years old, right? Like if you put me back through that, I was doing that when I was 19, I could handle that. I can't handle that now, right? Um, so like we're selecting out for people's ability to, to be metabolically strong despite being sleep deprived, right? And, uh, and, and so just keep in mind that we're better at that when we're younger and uh, some professions select out for it and some professions don't, they just go here. Like, you know, medical school doesn't select out for people who can do that, but they still throw people into the ER or whatever, it, or, you know, OB-GYN, or, you know, delivering babies or having emergency surgeries and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what I tell people is 
control those other three pillars, right? So make sure that your diet is absolute best diet you can possibly get. Uh, make sure that um, your exercise is spot on. Make sure that you're doing some sort of metric to know whether or not you should be exercising, whether it's heart rate variability or what, whatever sort of metric you use to choose that. And then you need to really, really, really work on controlling your stress hormones, right? And that's done by mindfulness, it's done by meditation, progressive muscle relaxation, Tai Chi, breath walking, breath work, whatever it is that you'll do, whatever it is you like to do, work on optimizing that. And if we can keep the stress hormones low and we can compensate dietarily, and I usually recommend that people, uh, anybody who's going to do uh, continued shift work. One of the, one of the most, uh, detrimental things about the shift work is the reduction of insulin sensitivity. So I usually tell those people to have, you know, a, a low, a, a really low carbohydrate index of, on their diet. Right. Um, even if they're eating moderate, moderate carbs, those have to be super, super slow carbs. Cause we really want to, we want to, we want to really hone in on an keeping that insulin sensitivity as strong as we possibly can, because that's one of the most anabolic hormones in the body. Right. And like, and none of the other anabolic hormones can really do their work if insulin sensitivity is poor. So, uh, you know, anyway, there's things to work on and optimize nutrition and optimize their exercise and optimize their stress mitigation. And then as far as their sleep, you know, make sure they're doing all the gadgets, make sure that they're putting on the blue blocking glasses two hours before they get sleep, make sure that when they are sleeping, they're in like the coldest, darkest, most perfect environment they can possibly sleep, get as much sleep as you can possibly get as soon as you can get it, which most shift workers don't want to hear because a lot of times shift workers come home and like that's their time with their family or whatever. Ideally, the best thing to do would be to go to sleep right then. Like that's the best thing you can do. So if there's a way to work that out or make some compromises on that, um, and then take naps. Uh, and then I would say, uh, I would take, you know, I would take some sort of some fairly complete, um, combination of supplements, you know, that, that we know to be supportive of good sleep, things like tryptophan and, um, micro doses of melatonin and 5-HTP and magnesium and vitamin D3 and like all the usual suspects, phosphatidylserine decreases your stress hormones, like all like, you know, try to try to formulate something like that to make sure you're getting the highest quality of sleep as you can. And then honestly, if you can get off of night shift, um, I know, cause I know out here, at least a lot of law enforcement, they get on a shift, they choose it, they like it and they stay on it. So they'll stay on night shift for 20 years, but they don't have to, right? They could work off of it and come back on it and work off of it and come back on it. And so I always tell people, if you, if you have an option to give yourself a break, um, you should, you know, um, and you know, the, you know, the, if you think about it, that's like, <clears throat> um, it's like taking your car in for an overhaul or something, you know, it's like you're driving the hell out of your car, you're, you know, maximum acceleration, maximum braking 24 hours a day for months. And then you like take it in and, you know, get everything reset and worked on, like, you know, get, get everything all fixed up again, and then you can go redline it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- those are the mitigation techniques and, and, uh, yeah, there's no way around it. Sadly, if you look at people who take, if you look at people who have what we call chronic insomnia, 
which is really just defined as over six months continuous, but I, I think it should be more than that. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and read the study to see how valid I think it is to just say that six months, but people who fall into the chronic insomnia group. Um, and then there's another group that they break out is people who take sleep drugs, but people who take sleep drugs are taking sleep drugs because they're chronically and in, chronic insomniacs. I don't necessarily think that that's uh, a separate category, but it's been broken out in the research as a separate, separate category. So uh, chronic insomniacs, people who take sleep drugs, and then people who work night shift. Um, so people who do shift work that affects their circadian rhythm, how, right, however you want to phrase that. They die on average 12 to 14 years younger than, than their cohorts. And that's been the same across a dozen different countries, a dozen, dozen different cultures, you know, dozens of different professions. Um, yeah. You know, the world health organization classifies um, shift work as a type two, a carcinogen, which is the same, it's the same categorization that they put uh, tobacco cigarettes into, uh, which really just means we're pretty damn sure it causes cancer, but it would be unethical for us to test that. So we aren't going to test it. We're just going to say, it's, it's just really likely to be a carcinogen and that's what 2A means. So, I mean, it, it is, it is really detrimental to us. And, and I don't think most people who get into those professions are thinking about that. or realize when they get into that profession. So I, I, I sympathize with the, the situation that they're in. Uh, but, you know, yeah. Do okay. the mitigation, optimize everything else, do the mitigation techniques to the best of your ability and get out of the shift work as soon as you can. And there is no, uh, it's it's a complete myth, is it? That say, for example, you've got, you're going through your shift work and you might get six hours of sleep here, five hours of sleep there. And then you'll be off for a couple of nights on the weekend, for example. And then you have 11 hours of sleep on a Saturday and 12 hours of sleep on a Sunday. Does this somewhat get get you back onto level power to a certain extent? Or is that completely futile? No, so, so that... That you know the the phrase we use around that is sleep debt, um, and the way the best way that I know to think about it is, as I said, you're born to this contract where it takes about eight hours to recover from being awake for sixteen hours. Um, if you fiddle with that and you you stay awake a lot longer, what you're really doing is you've built up toxins in your brain, right? Uh, and these toxins haven't been cleared out and your brain's nutrient deprived because you've been awake too long. So you're building up toxins at an accelerating rate. And ultimately your body that ultimately that's in, that's inflammation and it's inflammation everywhere in your body, but it's really detrimental in your brain because it, your body, uh, your brain doesn't calcify like the rest of your body. When, it, when your body's, when your when your body's, uh, continually fighting off, say like uh, a tendonitis or something. And they'll say you get a, they'll say you have a bone spur, but you don't have a bone spur. Your body laid down a bunch of calcium in that tendon because it got tired of fighting the inflammation. And so it's just like, well, let's just wall this off, put a brick wall up there and we don't have to, we don't have to look at it anymore. Um, and so what in your brain, what happens is you, you produce these proteins and these proteins somehow block the inflammation response. Uh, and these proteins are associated with neurological decline, but they're also just associated with, you know, age and, and uh, general disease. So what people have to realize is that it's an injury. When you stay up too late, it's an injury. Um, can you recover from the injury? Yes. Do you recover a hundred percent from every injury? Maybe, maybe not, maybe not hundred. Like if you break your leg, 
did hundred percent recovery. Well, yeah, maybe after 10 years, I won't really recognize it, but if I did an x-ray, I might still see some changes. That's kind of what you're dealing with. Right. So like you could, and, and obviously if you break your leg and you go immediately to a doctor and they set it and everything's, and they have fluoroscopy and they set everything and they give you anti-inflammatories and they give you stare, like they do everything that they should do. And they, and, and then you rehab it and you do, you know, your contrast pass and you do everything perfectly. You'll recover a lot quicker and probably a lot more completely and have less long-term damage. Um, and that's what I'm saying about coming home from your shift work and getting into bed and going to sleep right then. Cause you're doing the maximum you're repairing it as fast as you can. The longer you string that out, the more, the longer that damage is going on. Like you're still, you're still sort of damaging your brain, you're still building up toxins. So it, it, you know, it's, I, I hate to have to say it cause I know it's, it's not what anybody wants to hear, but it, it's, it's just the truth that you can, you can repair functionally, but there is some, there's some sequelae every time you stay up too long. Now, the problem with, uh, shift work isn't necessarily sleep duration and sleep quality. Like some, some people are getting great sleep and great duration of sleep. The problem is they're doing it with a misalignment of their circadian rhythm. So people think a lot of people think that the sunlight is creating your circadian rhythm uh, or setting it. Like, and it's, all it does is adjust it. So the circadian rhythm is just a job security word. Circa means about D and means day. It's about a day rhythm. That's all it means, but it's, it, it means a ton of things. It's all sorts of hormonal uh, and neurotransmitters, hormonal, uh, even neurological changes that go on in your body based on whether or not it's daytime or nighttime. And that doesn't change. So when you, when you shift your circadian rhythm with the sun, all you're trying to do is keep that rhythm and alignment with the planet. And you can, you can move it a little bit. You can budget a couple of hours each way but you can't go for 20 years and just flip 12 hours out of shift and think that that's going to stay like that doesn't work um, because the world's different and there's a lot of cues. And so the, you know, your, your brain and body know that you're out of phase. And so your, your organs may be doing things while you're asleep that they would ordinarily be doing while you're awake, you know, at a different pace, a different rate, doing slightly different chemical reactions. And so you're just misaligned, you know, it's like, like wearing out the tires on a car, you know, with, with poor alignment uh, and you can mitigate and you can drive extra slow and you can, you know, be careful, you know, be careful with your turns and, you know, rotate your tires frequently and all this other stuff. But if you're misaligned, you're still going to wear the tires out faster. Yeah. Good to know. Quit your night shifts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, it's a terrible yeah. thing. Well, I, I often say that uh, no job is worth the sacrifice of your physical or mental health or well-being. So if it is having a detrimental impact on either one of those, you know, perhaps it's time to start asking some serious questions of yourself. But look, at that's not going to get through to everyone. Everyone's not going to make that change. People value the, the additional money that they receive from night shifts and everything else. So look at you make a choice. And if, if, the, if, the, if the organization, if the organization understands the value and they change it, just think you can reduce all this by a third. If you just had three P if you had three shifts, right. And everybody was rotating through night shift, mm. then you could reduce it by a third. Right. And okay. So you're dying four years younger than your, than your counterparts in the general society. It still sucks, but it's way better than 12. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Life back. 
Yeah, that's been brilliant, yeah. Kirk. I mean, there's there's tons of knowledge and value that uh, the listeners will uh, will hear from from this episode. So I really thank you for sharing that with us. And you mentioned a link there to your uh, to your PDF. Uh, yeah, the stress PDF. Yeah, well, check, check the links below on, on this episode, and I'll I'll uh, I'll add it in there. So find it there, people. And and where else can can people reach out and and find you? Oh, that, that link will go to my website, which is uh, doc short for doctor. So D O C. And then my last name is parsley like there. So it's docparsley.com. And then on there, there's podcasts and uh, media appearances and lectures and blogs and my book and eBooks and PDFs and all, all sorts of stuff. The supplements on there too. If anybody's interested in that, I, I don't know though. Um, I, I can't ship overseas. So like, there's, there's issues there. Okay, no problem. Well, there's perhaps some ingredients in that supplement that people can purchase. Is there? Yeah, yeah. They they can at least build their own approximation of it. Yeah, cool. You know. Well, uh, work on that and get it overseas to us. Say, yeah, be good. Yeah, <laughs> plenty of people can eat yep. it. Uh, man, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for your time and uh, your information and knowledge on this episode. And uh, look forward to keeping in touch and uh, speaking with you again in the future. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, my man.